Welcome to Healthy Habits Happy Moms Radio, where we are all about helping you find balance in food, fitness, and family 365 days a year with your hosts, Jennifer Campbell, Lauren Kosky, and Annie Breeze. Welcome back to another episode of Healthy Habits, Happy Moms Radio. Today, Lauren, Jen, and I are all three together finally, and we are discussing the announcement of Weight Watchers' latest campaign that teens between the ages of 13 and 17 can join Weight Watchers at no cost for six weeks during the summer of 2018. The company has said that it wants to help young people develop good habits at a critical age, and by the end of 2020, it aims to have 5 million people in the Weight Watchers program. This campaign marketed towards kids and adults has created a lot of buzz in and outside of our community. And on today's episode, Lauren, Jen, and I discuss the implications a program like this could have on a child's mental, physical, and emotional development. Enjoy. You guys, we're all together again. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Lauren, it's been a while since you've been on our podcast. How have you been? I'm good. Uh, Good. It's been six months, and I can't believe it's been six months. Yeah, because if you're just joining us for the first time or you're new to our podcast, Lauren had a baby boy recently, so we gave her some time off. Yeah, (laughs) maternity leave from the podcast, (laughs) kind of, yeah. Although you were working plenty in that (laughs) time. I just wasn't on the podcast. Yeah, you were working behind the scenes. Yeah. And, And it's going well, mother of two? It's going well. Well, we had some drama over the weekend with sickness and rashes and ear infections, but we're all good today. Good. Good. And Jen, how are you? Good. So good. It's spring here. I know spring comes a bit earlier for you guys than me, but yeah, it's full on spring here and I could not be happier. It's technically the first day of spring. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's snowing here. Yeah. Oh, really? In Iowa. Yeah. Which it won't last, but it's fine. I don't think we're getting any more snow here, but this was a long winter. It was brutal for me. And I'm knock on, knock so on wood. It's gone. Yes, knock on wood. <laughs> okay, so the topic we have for our listeners today is something that keeps getting brought up in our community, and it's very kind of what's the word? There's a lot of buzz about it. It's in the news. It's been in on TV, on the internet, all over social media. Buzz about. Weight Watchers new campaign. So if you aren't familiar with it, in early in February, Weight Watchers announced plans centered around early intervention, and it's a new family-oriented wellness program that will be open to teens as young as 13. So their target demographic is really 13 to 17, and they can join the Weight Watchers program at no cost during the summer of 2018. And the idea is to foster the development of healthy habits at a critical life stage. Just in, just out of curiosity, Jen, have you ever joined Weight Watchers? No, but I've seen a couple family members utilize Weight Watchers through my lifetime. I mean, who hasn't? Right. <laughs> and I've seen some yo-yoing develop from that. And I've seen some pain and feelings of failure out of that. Yeah. Lauren, what about you? Have you ever been a Weight Watchers member? Not officially, no, but my mom did go on it a bunch of times. So I would read her books and look at all the point systems and all that. Well, I have joined it a number of times. (laughs) So I feel like I can provide some, a unique perspective because I honestly, I've joined it probably at least four times on again, off again, Weight Watchers member here. So we've got some, a variety of perspectives here between the three of us, but we have to kind of full disclosure, Weight Watchers has not released the details of this program. So they don't have anything posted on their website. We're not exactly sure what this program is going to look like. If it's going to be a replica of what they offer adults, if it's going to be a variation of, or if it's going to be slightly different. I haven't seen anything. I went to the Weight Watchers website. Jen, have you seen any details of the program? No, the only details I've seen about the program is their financial projections. <laughs> right. So that was kind of the initial criticism, right? That this is a really big potential financial gain for the company as they're essentially targeting lifelong customers earlier in life because the CEO has been on record stating that they really benefit from their members' repeated 
failure of the diet because they bank on members joining, failing, or leaving the program and then rejoining. I am a perfect case study of that as I have joined multiple times. But the company did come on record um, and said that this new initiative would help grow sales more than 67% from 2016 to more than 2 billion by the end of 2020. And its revenue reached about 1.2 billion in 2016. The company hasn't reported its 2017 sales, but shockingly, or I should say not shockingly, the shares of this company of Weight Watchers jumped about 16% on the release of this news. Right. Yeah. So, and financials aside, if you dig a little bit deeper into the research about dieting and teens, body image, parenting, and eating disorders, it becomes a much more alarming issue. And, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to tackle this topic is because there's a lot of emotional baggage tied to all of these topics. When we're talking about, you know, how we handle our children's nutrition, how we handle our children's body image, our own body image, how we project that onto our children, dieting, weight loss, weight gain, the diet industry, like this is like pretty emotional stuff we're talking about. Lauren, sure. do you agree, Lauren? Yes. It's like you add all of these huge topics together and it's, yeah. It's here. <laughs> Yeah, there's been a couple times it's come up in our Facebook group. And right now we're having moderators delete the posts because I wanted to make sure we addressed this in a podcast and a blog post and sourced evidence and experts before we allowed the conversation to take place. Otherwise, we would keep, you know, keep repeating ourselves. But also people's emotions are going to take over on this topic and we need to help them find reason right? And um, that's what we want to do. That's why we're here. But it's going to be a really emotional topic. Another thing I wanted to add about Facebook targeting teens uh, starting this summer, they actually have been working with children for a lot longer. (laughs) And uh, they've been working with children for decades. This is just the first time they've openly come out to say that they're going to be targeting children. So Several of our members in Balance 365 have been on Weight Watchers. I think the youngest one, she said it was just before her ninth birthday that um, her mom signed her up. So she was eight um, and she was on it till she was 16. And, um, you know, several other members were around 10 years old when they started. One member said she went to a special children's meeting. So when she went to the weekly Weight Watchers meetings, whether this was, you know, around 20 years ago, it was only children. So this has been going on a really long time. It's not new. Right. It's just the first time that they're being more public about right. yeah. pro- offering a program geared towards teens, young adults. Right. So let's kind of look at the foundational issue of this issue. Why would parents sign their children up for Weight Watchers memberships? And and anything we say here, you know, I think the three of us pride ourselves and our community over being really open and not judgmental. And the three of us come from a place of empathy and love and compassion and not judgment or shame. I really want to make sure that that's, if this is something you were, if this is a program that you were considering, or maybe you've already looked into it, maybe you've already discussed it with your young son or daughter that we're not you know, pointing our fingers and shaking our heads at you. This is just a really great platform to have a good, important discussion on the topic. So Jen, let's talk about what are your thoughts on why parents would sign their children up for Weight Watchers? Because they're trying to be good parents. (laughs) Right. I don't think anyone's going into it as a, I'm going to do this, even though I know that it could be emotionally damaging to my child down the road. No way. We think all parents you know, usually are coming from a place of love and caring and maybe their child is struggling with weight issues. Maybe their child is being teased at school. Whatever it is, I imagine the parent wants to help their child. And the other reason I think is because their child is asking for it. So, you know, the child hears about the Weight Watchers program. You know, there's 13 to 17 year olds are on social media. They're watching TV. They see the news and commercials and the child may have decided this is the solution for them and is asking their parent to join up. Right. Well, I mean, and because from their perspective, there isn't a whole lot on the market that's offered directly towards that age range, which we could argue shouldn't be marketed towards that demographic. But the options, at least in a public platform for teens dieting, really 
is slim pickings. So it's right now, it looks like a prime top pick. Right. I mean, there's reasons that it's not out there. You know, companies aren't out there to get teens dieting, which we'll get into. But also, there are options for families, which we will get into as well. They're just not out there. Like Weight Watchers has, you know, we just went over, you just went over their financials for us. So we know their marketing budget is enormous. It's multi-millions. So it's out there. It's in our faces. It's convenient to sign up. It's cheap. And in, in this case, it's going to be free. So very low barrier to get started. You know, they've just put everything, laid it all out there nicely for everybody. Yeah. And I think the other issue that I think might be driving some signups here, and again, I say this with no judgment, is that parents maybe have their own issues with their body image, their weight, and they're trying to prevent that in their children. They're trying to almost protect them, you know? Right. Oh, totally. And I know in our Two Sisters podcast would be a good one for anyone to listen to who hasn't listened to it already. Our guest, my sister Janelle, talked about this with her daughter and initially believed that the way to help her daughter not have to face the things she's had to face with body image was to make sure her daughter didn't become fat. Mm -hmm. And that has totally flipped on her where she's realized, no way, that is not the way to help my daughter. The way to help my daughter is to build up her self-confidence and her self-esteem and allow her to be who she is and love her unconditionally through that. Exactly. Lauren, do you have anything to add? No, I mean, I think you guys laid it all out there. The only thing I would add really would be that I believe that Weight Watchers, basically you, the adult has to have a membership and then the teen can get one for free. So okay. I believe you know, the adult would have to be dieting and then the teen could join. So it's, it's your perception that teens could not join on their own. I think so. Okay. Good to know. I mean, that would make me feel a little bit better about the situation. But one of the ways this has kind of been marketed as a solution to obesity in teens this age, this 13 to 17 year old demographic, uh, there's been some recent headlines that obesity in this demographic is just skyrocketing. It's out of control. It's been very uh, like alarming. Uh, that's kind of the way they're trying to present it, that we should be very concerned about this and that we need to find a solution to this obesity epidemic, quote unquote. And I think what's uh, an interesting statistic is that about, this is, I think, 2016 stats, but about 20.6% of 12 to 19 year olds are are obese. So that's similar to that demographic that uh, Weight Watchers is targeting. On the contrary, 50% of teenage girls and 30% of teenage boys are using unhealthy weight control behaviors such as skipping meals, fasting, smoking cigarettes, vomiting, and taking laxatives to control their weight. And we can put uh, the statistic links in our show notes if you want to check those out further. But I think that's really eye-opening that here we are, you know, the mainstream media seems to be very concerned with obesity and the rising obesity rates in, and not just teens, but adults as well. But very few people are talking about eating disorders or or what we classify as disordered eating, some tendencies or behaviors around food that we would say aren't necessarily the healthiest relationship. Right. And they're also precursors to eating disorders. Right. And we know that dieting can really trigger a lot of these behaviors. And in addition to that, teens of this age are really, really susceptible to eating disorders. Right. And while teens are very susceptible to body image issues and where you find body image issues, you find like disturbed or disordered eating patterns. They kind of go together. In fact, you go even earlier and research shows that girls as young as between the ages of three and five already start to show a preference towards female bodies that are thinner. And by five and six years old, girls already understand that dieting is a means to achieve that. So they're being taught this at a really young age. Absolutely. And there's quite a misconception too about what eating disorders look like. Jen, do you want to share some thoughts on, on that, on those misconceptions? Right. We have stats on eating disorders in our society, but 
We also have stats on is something like it's around only one in eight people with eating disorders are actually getting treatment. Really, we don't have any good stats on eating disorders in North America, at least. And I suspect, and most people probably suspect that the rates are a lot higher than what we see reported. We also, you know, amongst us three, we talk about eating disorders on a spectrum. So we know that there are pre precursors to eating disorders. But when, you, when I say eating disorder, that is clinical diagnosis of an eating disorder. You know, parents have taken their child to the doctor, they've, and they've gotten a diagnosis of, say, anorexia. But there are many, many signs leading up to a clinical eating disorder diagnosis. It doesn't happen overnight. So if you backtrack a little and think about eating disorders as a spectrum and what the precursors are, we would call like low level, we call it disordered eating. So just disturbed eating patterns. And as Annie just described, there's an extraordinary amount of teenagers with disordered eating habits. Did you say 50% of girls and a mm -hmm. third of boys? Right. Yeah. Um, we also know that 14 uh, and 15 year old girls who have restrictive dieting practices are 18 times more likely to develop an eating disorder within six months than the girls who aren't dieting. And even girls of that same age range who are dieting but not as restrictive, they are six times more likely to develop an eating disorder within six months than girls who don't. We know that dieting is like a gateway drug to eating disorders. The other thing is talking about we, what eating disorders look like is I think our society has this picture of the very thin, starved young woman when actually there are several types of eating disorders. I don't even think medical no, you know, people can keep up because there's some unclassified eating disorders. Like, for example, orthorexia is something people talk about a lot, which is like being extremely obsessed with your food, being clean or healthy. So I think what people picture is anorexia in their minds when they think of eating disorder. But then there's also bulimia. And when people hear the word bulimia, they think, oh, the girls who throw up. But bulimia is not always about throwing up. What actually differentiates a diagnosis of anorexia and bulimia is BMI. So a woman who is bulimic could be and have a normal BMI. She could be overweight, she could be obese, and she may not even be throwing up. She may be just be using other practices to try and control her weight. And the thing about bulimia is it can be easily hidden because people are of normal weight. So parents don't know. I mean, how do you know if your teenager is hiding that she's either using laxatives or she's abusing diet pills or she's throwing up or she is starving herself? You know, she is skipping lunch every day at school. You don't know because everybody's looking for the thin, starved teenager, right? right? We say that a lot of times in our community, just in general, that you cannot tell the health of someone just by looking at them. Exactly. You don't know. And to tie this back to Weight Watchers, this is just a personal personal story. But when I know when I was doing Weight Watchers, you come to your community meeting and you weigh in, you know, once a week. And what I was doing was I would weigh in, I would normally weigh in in the morning and I would probably withhold breakfast or liquids. I would eat a very light dinner the night before. I would really kind of tighten up, quote unquote, tighten up my diet, my food intake, reduce my food intake leading up to the meeting weigh in as light as possible. And then post weigh in, I would eat, 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 eat. Right. Yeah. And it was kind of my way to, uh, I mean, each week I would have a successful weigh in successful being that I right. lost weight from the, the way uh, the week prior. And when I look at that now, knowing what I know now about all this disordered eating, kind of the behaviors that we have around food that aren't necessarily the healthiest that don't foster a positive relationship with food. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was me. Like here I was almost in a more mild, but binge restrict pattern. I was restricting leading up to the weigh-in and then post weigh-in, I would celebrate with food and I would eat all the things that I wasn't quote unquote allowed to have or shouldn't, didn't think I should have before the weigh-in because I didn't want to weigh in heavier than the week before. 
Right. So that, so you were yo-yo dieting, AKA you were in a binge and restrict pattern, yep. which leads to another eating disorder that a lot of people don't talk about, which is called binge eating disorder. And we've referred several women from Balance 365 to therapists because their binge eating behaviors were not mild at all. And binge eating disorder is classified for sure. It's just a matter of people admitting that they have those symptoms, right? And those behaviors so that they can get help. Yeah. Um, but it's a really hard, I understand that all of this is, you know, very difficult to admit, like I've been there. If you've listened to this podcast long enough, you kind of know my story. <laughs> and uh, I had a BMI of 17 and was, you know, starving myself on the regular but a lot of these practices that we see women doing of any weight, whether you are underweight, normal weight, overweight, obese, it's celebrated and encouraged by people around us. So we've completely normalized disordered eating in our society. And a lot of people look at the behaviors around weight control and weight loss methods as Self-discipline. Yeah, yeah. self-discipline, healthy, look at yeah. her willpower, she's so healthy. And I remember people saying that to me, even, and I look back and think, why was a teenager who was, you know, I was probably a size six, size eight, why would I be dieting in the first place? Like, why would, and why wasn't anyone concerned? And that's because we have this idea in our society that women should be trying to lose weight at all times. And we've normalized that. And it's normal for people to have a daughter or a sister or a friend who is a, a size six or a size eight and dieting and trying to lose weight and calling it healthy. And I look back yeah. and go, whoa, like I clearly had not any weight to lose. And I ended up a size zero. And it wasn't healthy. It was me trying to get to my leanest possible livable weight, which is crazy. Yeah. So in other words, <laughs> that was kind of the long-winded way of us saying that, you know, this is really, a lot of people are expressing interest in this membership because they're concerned with weight. Even adults, you know, this applies to adults, uh, not just children, but they're, they're concerned about their weight. They're concerned about obesity. They're concerned about rising obesity rates and that this might be a, a feasible solution. And I guess what we're saying here is that we would encourage people to take a closer look into their uh, behaviors around eating and body image before, totally. before they start a diet. Yeah. And actually I would say concern is one thing. Hysteria is another. And I would describe what we see around bodies more as hysteria than concern. And I wanted to read a couple stats. I got this from the Precision Nutrition website, very reputable nutrition company. A poll of 10,000 readers in a popular teen magazine revealed that 30% of teens would rather be thin than healthy. 50% of the women between the ages of 18 and 25 said they would prefer to be run over by a truck than be fat. 66% would rather be mean or stupid instead of fat. Uh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. So you have to sort of, I would encourage people you know, who are concerned about their child's weight. And again, we're going to get into more about this a bit later because Lauren's got some really good info. You need to tease out what is body image, what is health, what is weight, you know, like it's just this whole dimension of things. And we need to start teasing out what is going on here with not just teenagers, but ourselves, because I think half the battle for a lot of parents is accepting their child's body for what it is. Well, and that's what we talk about in Balance 365, which is our habit nutrition program for adults, that we're not anti-weight loss, but we do encourage people to look at the why. You know, are you trying to lose weight because you're trying to feel some type of way about your body? You think it's going to uh, bring you happiness? You think it's going to solve your body image problems? You think you're going to stop nitpicking yourself to death if you lose 10 pounds? We would probably disagree that the weight, weight loss on its own is not the sole solution to those issues. And I really wonder if we lived in a world where we didn't have to think about body image, where teenagers all had fairly healthy body image and there was no weight-based teasing going on in schoolyards. 
would there be a demand for this program? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it all like, it all comes back to body image. It all comes back to body image. Absolutely. Lauren, do you have anything to add? Well, <laughs> I, know, I know your topic. We can just jump right in because Lauren is, Lauren's working on it. I don't want to speak for you, but you're working on a really cool supplement to our Balance 365 program called Feeding Your Families. Is that? Yeah. And because what you've come across is that a lot of women in our community want to apply the same principles of our program to their families. Yeah. And a lot of women, like you mentioned in the beginning, don't know where to turn. They have questions about feeding their families and maybe they do have concerns over their child's weight, but, and they don't know where to turn because as we talked about, there's not a lot out there or as out there as Weight Watchers. One thing I would mention that relates to what you guys were talking to before is that there's research out there that, you know, when a child diets, their mind isn't obviously isn't done growing yet, you know, so they can't, they don't really differentiate a flaw in their body with a flaw in themselves. So when they think they are, you know, they say they're fat or they're overweight or whatever, they don't differentiate that between them as a person. So then that goes into their worthiness and not just their body image, but their whole image of themselves. So in addition to being a slippery slope for eating disorders, it's also a slippery slope for everything else related to self-esteem. Right. And their whole mental health. And yeah. Because we're talking about children that aren't done developing, that may not, haven't even really started to develop, and their bodies are undergoing such change at this time in their life, as they should, um, to try to control that change or to limit that change, or at least the appearance of that change seems really detrimental. Yeah, you, I mean, I think you have to be very careful how you address a child's weight, and Taking them to a company that's called Weight Watchers, Watch Your Weight, I believe is sending the wrong message completely to your child. This isn't health watchers, or, you know, it's, it's Weight Watchers. And as much as they try to dress it up, this is a diet and you're putting your child on a diet. And I hope listening to this podcast and all the things we get into, I hope that it can maybe help change people's perceptions on if they're okay with that. Absolutely. Jen or Lauren, either one of you have any thoughts on any studies or research that you're aware of about children and dieting? Yeah. I'll say a quote from Ellen Satter. And she says, in reviewing a lot of growth charts, my colleagues and I have found that a child's weight often starts to accelerate right after the imposition of food restriction and attempts at weight loss. And really, the research really supports that. There are, as you said, I've been writing this section for Balance 365, so I've been looking at all the research studies, and there are hundreds and hundreds of studies done on children and food restriction and um, parental involvement in food. And what really happens when you restrict a child's food, it's not, we're not guessing anymore at this, there's tons of studies to back this up, but some of the results of restricting a child's food is loss of internal regulators like hunger and satiety. In our program, that's one of the things we work with women on because somewhere along the way, likely um, in childhood, they lost those regulators that effortlessly balance their energy. And then it also leads to compulsive eating, overeating, weight gain, and as I said, negative thoughts about themselves, not just their bodies, lowered self-esteem, self-worth. So what I'm hearing is that dieting in children, and we see this in adults, we see this in adult women, uh, it really seems to foster this distrust of their body, that they know what their body needs, that they know how to fuel their body, that they know how to treat their body and care for their body. Yeah, and if you've listened to our Minnesota Starvation experiment podcast that we've done towards the beginning. We talk all about what happens when you restrict someone's food and calories. And it's the same for children as it is for adults. You know, they start craving more food, obviously, because they, their body needs more calories. And when you're talking about a child, they don't have as much control over the food that they get as adults do. So they really rely on the parent to feed them. And so if you're restricting their food, 
when they do have free access to food, they're going to go crazy. It's just like an adult who's putting themselves on a diet. Children are going to react the same way. Mm -hmm. Those are excellent points. We've experienced that too when we encourage women to kind of let go of the food rules and the morals that they carry around certain foods or food groups that they, you know, if you look at it as a pendulum, that pendulum swings in the opposite direction and they just kind of eat all those foods. And uh, that can be a little bit alarming uh, or even as a parent to say, I'm just going to let you kind of work this out on your own. But eventually what we found is that pendulum kind of settles in the middle. And uh, when you take the restriction away from those foods or the bad labels off of some of those foods, they kind of lose some of their appeal. They, you don't become so inclined to just overeat them at the frequency that you would have otherwise. Jen, do you have any thoughts or uh, knowledge about Weight Watchers working long-term for adults or children? Right, so (laughs) we have a vast amount of antidotal evidence to us that it has caused a lot of struggle. But as far as research, one thing I wanna point out is that, as we know, Weight Watchers is a huge multi-multi-million dollar company on its way to becoming a billion dollar company. And if they wanted to produce long-term studies on the effectiveness of their program, they could in a heartbeat. They have enough money and they have enough participants (laughs) to show this. There's only been one longish term study done on Weight Watchers and the average participant lost 12 pounds. And at the two-year mark, when researchers checked in with those participants, they'd already gained back half of what they had lost. So that's the only data we have. If Weight Watchers wanted to produce something to counteract that, they could and they haven't because Weight Watchers doesn't work. In fact, Tracy Mann, who is a food psychologist at the University of Minnesota, we reference her work all the time. She has a book called The Science of Secrets from the Eating Lab. So good. She wrote an article that went viral a couple of years ago and she said, Oprah's investment in Weight Watchers was smart and that's because it doesn't work. And Mm -hmm. she goes on to talk about all the research she's done on diets, all of the research she's done on Weight Watchers itself, and it does not work. Yeah, we actually have a, I found a quote from Tracy Mann about how just in general diets, which Weight Watchers would fall under the dieting category, diets don't work in general, which is large in part why we developed the program that we have now because we focus way more on behavior change. But Tracy had to say, you can initially lose five to 10% of your weight on any number of diets, but then the weight comes back. We found the majority of people regained all the weight plus more. Sustained weight loss was only found in a small minority of participants, while complete regain was found in the majority. Diets do not lead to sustained weight loss or health benefits for the majority of people. And that's kind of her cumulative conclusion after all the research she's done on studying a variety of diets. Right. So yeah, they don't work. And thankfully, you know, we don't, Lauren, you you noted a lot that we have done research on calorie restriction for children. Again, we don't know that that's the purpose of this Weight Watchers program that they're marketing towards teens. We don't know that that's what it's going to look like, but you know how stuff happens by osmosis. I mean, Lauren, you said it at the beginning of the show here. You go to this meeting where everyone's talking about food and tracking their food and logging their food and weight loss and how to kind of make the most of your points and to manipulate your food so you can eat the most quantity of food and have it still taste good. And like to expect that even if that's what the program for children is not going to look like, to expect that that's not going to rub off on them, I just think is a little ignorant. Like they're they're in the ballpark. (laughs) Yeah, there's also research stating that children who have parents who restrict and then rebound will have children who do the same. So again, yeah, they're, you know, even if you don't take your child to Weight Watchers, they're watching. I mean, like you said, that's what happened to me growing up. I was watching. I wasn't on Weight Watchers, but I knew the points and I read the the little pamphlet. Yeah, the vast majority of women that we work with watch their parents' diet and their own mothers struggle with their body image, make comments about their own bodies. And 
I hope everyone has listened to our last podcast with Hillary McBride because she is a clinical psychologist. She has a book that's amazing. She is a PhD student at UBC in Vancouver. And again, all the research supports this, that we are gifting our children our own narrative and behaviors about our bodies and food. And the good news is you can gift them a positive narrative and a healthy relationship with food. You can also gift them a negative body image and a disordered relationship with food. Right. Which, you know, as mothers, we don't do intentionally, but sometimes we don't know any better. We don't know any differently. Oh, totally. Totally. And the other thing is that a lot of women, again, because our society celebrates this, they believe they're doing this and it makes them a good mom. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just so much mom shaming and so much fat shaming that comes with being a mom and... Nobody wants to be the mom that, you guys remember that viral photo from Maria Kang from five, about five years ago where she had her three kids around her and she's wearing sort of a bikini and saying, what's your excuse? Yeah. Nobody wants to feel like that. And it just causes this massive emotional reaction. And we're just trying to find love and connection and validation from the world around us because we work so hard. We work so hard and we get dumped on constantly. And if it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not our bodies, then it's our children's bodies. And it's just so much. But what I would encourage women to do is to pause, listen to this podcast, pursue the research if you want to. We're going to link to it in our show notes. And then you decide what is good for your family and your children, which may not be what society is telling you. Yes. Another good item to question, and I have some really big concerns about, and I don't know the answer to, is who is running the program for these teens? What are their credentials? Are they certified in anything? Are they licensed in anything? Do they have any education? What kind of training is Weight Watchers providing to these leaders to lead these young adults? Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not just willing to hand over my kids to someone that's just had some success once or twice with some weight loss, you know? Yeah. Um, It's one thing to do that as an adult with my own body for myself, if that's what I choose, but I really would stop to question that. And I hope that they have some uh, information released about that. Who is leading these programs for these children? What kind of research has gone into them? If any, what's the curriculum for the program? Uh, These are all questions that I would encourage adults if you're considering the program or any program really for a a child or a teen to look into before signing up. I had a conversation with my own child's teacher and principal over what the classroom curriculum is around nutrition because we do this. We're, you know, this is all of our passion. So we, us three know more than your average person about it. And I am extremely sensitive to what my kids are introduced to as far as nutrition goes, because I see the world we live in. It's not, it's, I know everybody brings their biases into um, how they talk about weight and nutrition. So I had a conversation with my son's teacher, which went really well. And then with the principal that went even better. And Then I reached out to an organization in Saskatoon called Nourish, YXE, and they got me some information on what is appropriate nutrition education um, for elementary students, which I have taken into the school. And one of the first recommendations in this document is that teachers or any educator have to come to terms with their own body image and their own weight biases that is a huge part of how you're able to teach and what you are passing on to children. Absolutely. And I think we get ourselves into uh, a little bit of a pickle here because we have celebrity endorsements from people like Oprah, who women have grown to love and trust and know and adore. And Oprah wouldn't lead us astray, right? Right. That's another reason that makes this 
topic so sensitive because people love Oprah. Right. I love Oprah. So, I love Oprah. <laughs> so, you know, she did this huge speech, this Time's Up speech that empowered women around the world. And then Weight Watchers stock jumped the next day. And I just, you know what? I have defended Oprah for years, despite her introducing some really sketchy things on her show. And I've heard the criticism from, you know, healthcare professionals to parents. And I've always kind of defended her. I'm like, oh, he's just kind of really liked her. But honestly, when this program was announced by Weight Watchers, I thought, that's my line. I cannot defend Oprah <laughs> to this decision. This is awful. This is truly awful. And it will destroy some children's lives. It will lead some children into eating disorders. And the other thing is, I mean, nobody thinks it's going to happen to them. And maybe some people think they'll just deal with it if it happens. But eating disorders are very hard to treat. Anorexia has the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. Within 10 years of diagnosis, I think it is that 8% of people will die from anorexia who are diagnosed. And within 20 years, it is 18% uh, will die from anorexia. It is very dangerous. So yeah, I mean, that's the situation that it it is extremely risky to introduce your children to dieting. Absolutely. Lauren, I don't want to leave our listeners feeling hopeless if they are looking to make changes in either their child's eating habits or maybe their family's eating habits and they were considering Weight Watchers. What alternative suggestions do you have? Yeah. So first of all, as Jen said, there is a hysteria over children's weight right now. And you may not need to intervene at all. Research shows that 75% of infants and toddlers and 60 to 75% of overweight preschoolers are no longer overweight as adults. So they're more likely to grow to a normal weight than overweight. So if we don't intervene, it may be just fine. And your kids need fat to grow, right? They need that. If you are concerned, again, I'm writing a section on this for our Balance 365 program, but I would also recommend picking up a book by Ellen Satter. It's called Your Child's Weight Helping Without Harming. And again, that's by Ellen Satter. She has a whole institute around feeding children and it's, it's all evidence-based and it's really great. Another thing is, the biggest thing is don't restrict, which is basically what we've been talking about this whole podcast. It, there are huge consequences to restricting your child's food. And as far as trying to get them to eat, quote unquote, only healthy, what the research is showing is, of course, you know, healthy food is important, but how you feed your child is more important than what you feed your child. So you don't need to obsess over all the fruits and vegetables and only organic meats. And I mean, it's okay to feed your kid macaroni and cheese. Like, right. I want to add one thing. If you're concerned about your child's weight, there was a study done in 1999 that said adolescent girls who diet are 324% greater risk for obesity than those who do not diet. Now, if that doesn't change your mind, I don't know what will. And the other thing is obesity as a whole, you know, this obesity epidemic. So in Canada, at least, the childhood obesity rates have not changed since the late 90s, early 2000s, I think it is. The only thing that has changed is the hysteria around it. As diet companies have become more influential in our lives, it is creating this hysteria. And so, you know, I just find that really interesting. There's a massive disconnect between public opinion and public perception and what the research is showing and what experts are saying who are actually working in food psychology and um, childhood feeding, like the Ellen Satter Institute that has dedicated their whole institute is about the research behind how to feed kids and how to raise kids that one, do not end up with eating disorders and disordered relationship with food. And two, how to not raise a child who has, who becomes obese and how, has health issues around obesity. So we have this whole institute dedicated to that and people still aren't listening. 
they're still sort of following what diet companies are saying and it's because they're so loud. They are loud and they're packaged uh, really pretty with those celebrity endorsements. I mean, I'm going to butcher his name. Lauren, I know you like him and I like him, but DJ, is it Khalid? Am I <laughs> Am I gonna do that? I don't, you guys and your mu your music people. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, that? Am I gonna get hate mail for saying that wrong? I love his music, but he is also a celebrity endorser. I just noticed that he is he is uh, endorsing Weight Watchers. It's the, the marketing is so pretty, and and that's honestly that's why I joined four, five, six times or whatever, because every couple of years they remarket it, they repackage it, they change the program just enough to where I think, oh, I got to come in and I got to get the new materials and I got to figure out what this new program is about. And it kind of rallies the troops and amps the excitement up. And, you know, inevitably I quote unquote fall off the wagon and leave the program and then rejoin again. I don't plan on rejoining ever again, just for the record. Mm -hmm. Um, Thanks to changing my eating habits. But yeah, they are loud. They are, the diet industry is loud and it's uh, filled with a lot of money that can target people, prey on their insecurities, shame, and look really pretty in the meantime and really appealing and sexy. Yeah, the other thing to talk about with obesity and, and Dr. Yoni Friedhoff, he's actually an obesity doctor here in Canada. He's pretty active on social media and he's a great person for families to follow. But he has a quote in one of his blog posts that says, there will be no singular intervention that will have a remarkable impact on obesity is what he's talking about. Just like no single sandbag can stop a flood. And James Fell has a great blog post called What is the Solution to Obesity? And he talks about some of these different factors that will be able to have an impact. And he compares it to smoking. So we did not reduce smoking rates by shaming our parents say that I spent many years <laughs> trying to shame my mom into quitting smoking. It doesn't work. So he has several suggestions, which are changing laws regarding advertising claims about smoking. So we could do that around dieting. We need to change the laws around, like, I don't even think it should be legal for a company like Weight Watchers to be targeting children. And actually there's one other expert that was consulted for a big government of Canada deep dive into eating disorders in Canada. And she says that just like the tobacco industry was held responsible for all the lies and all the um, health effects of smoking, the diet industry eventually is going to have to be held responsible for all of the damage it's doing in children and adults today. Because we know. We know, we know, we know, just like Lauren mentioned, this is not secret anymore. This is not, we're not guessing. Um, we're not guessing. We know we have decades of research now that knows where dieters end up. And I think for women listening who start thinking back on their dieting history, you know, they might need to start thinking about doing, trying something different <laughs> instead of a diet, because I think we're starting to realize dieting doesn't work. It does not work. Right, which is why we joke about our business model. But Jen, you've, you've challenged our members to put us out of business because yeah. that's, that's ultimately our goal is not to become millionaires and have this fame about us, but to help women get out of this dieting cycle. Like we don't want people to be forever reliant on us for a program, a shopping list, a meal right. plan, telling you what to eat, when to eat, how to eat it. We want to give women those tools on their own. And as we say, we can teach them how to fish instead of give them a fish. And all of our members or a lot of our members have reported back that they're actually too busy fishing. Yeah, they're gone. Yeah. So I guess that's, we sell lifetime memberships. And the reason we do that is because we don't want people stuck in this subscription-based model where they are paying every month and feeling like they're, you know, quote unquote, wasting their money or whatever. We're like, we sell our program, they pay for it once and that's it. And even people who have been with us for three years, we've given them for free all of the updates we've made to the program. So you know, just as new information comes out, we update the program. And the other thing I wanted to say as far, like going back to how we can, when I challenge you, I say, put us out of business. What I mean is heal yourself, heal your relationship with food, 
teach your children how to have a healthy relationship with food and everything will fall into place for your child and the next generation doesn't have to diet and they say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure it's kind of like smokers if you can what really has reduced smoking rates in canada is a lot of the public health campaigns and trying to make sure young people don't start do you know what i mean it's easier to get them to not start than to try and help them quit and that's i i think the same with dieting if we can just get our children to not start then we're not going to be dealing with them in 25 30 40 50 years and trying to help them quit which is basically what us three do is trying to get women out of the diet cycle and to pursue a healthy relationship with food and start incorporating healthy habits into their life that they can sustain forever, not two months of the year. Yeah, that's a big reason of why we got into this in the first place. Yeah, because the three of us have been there. We've been there in some shape or form. I mean, I told you I've joined Weight Watchers multiple times, but the two of you have a, an extensive dieting history too. And it's like, we can do better. We can do better for ourselves, much better for our children, for our girlfriends, for our community. Like we know better, we can do better. And we are on a mission to help women do just that. We are. <laughs> we, get, we, get, we get a little fiery when we talk about this <laughs> stuff. But passion. So, uh, any lasting remarks? Yeah, let's do a kids. Yeah, like yeah, because family oriented. People need it. Lauren has been studying so hard on this topic. We're so excited for this section to be added to Balance Two Sixty Five because women are, you know, they're kind of healing themselves, and then they're coming back to us and saying, "So, like, how should I feed my kids now?" And so now we're going to have a whole section of Balance Two Sixty Five that talks about how to foster a healthy relationship in your family, as well as Lauren is adding a section for men for those who have male partners in their household. I do want to note though, if you have any comments or you want to continue to this discussion, feel free to join our Facebook community. We are Healthy Habits, Happy Moms, private Facebook group. We have over 40,000, or are we at 40? Close to 40? Not quite. We're close okay. to 40,000. Well, soon to be over 40,000 women worldwide, not all just moms either. We have a lot of, a growing number of just women that are non-moms, grandmothers, a variety of ages, family sizes, working, non-working, races, all a sexual diverse. Person. Yes, yes. <laughs> diverse. We've got it all in the community right. and it makes- Just not men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So it makes for some really good conversation. So I would love for you to join in on the conversation there. We've got an awesome community and they're super supportive. We're happy uh, to answer your questions. The three of us are in there frequently as well. Yeah. Yeah. And if you like what you heard today, give us a rating on iTunes because we like doing this and we want to do more of it. A five-star rating. A five-star five rating. <laughs> what she meant to say. A, a, a five-star rating. If, yes. If, if, if you feel so inclined. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, ladies. That was fun. Yeah, it was fun. The three of us back together. Yay, we're back. <laughs> that sounded creepy. <laughs> okay. Bye. 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 If you like what you heard today, I invite you to check out our free 30-minute workshop where Jennifer, Lauren, and I discuss how to reach your goals without dieting extremes and how to have fun while you get there, which you can find at balance365.co. That's B-A-L-A-N-C-E 365.co, as well as join nearly 30,000 women across the globe in our free Facebook community at Healthy Habits, Happy Moms. And if you really like what you heard today, be sure to give it a review on iTunes so we can keep bringing you amazing content. Thanks, everyone.